He's a Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Good morning, Father. Uh, get me out of your way that your truths would be lifted up and you would be glorified and that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we as your saints would understand and obey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Very cool. So, here's what's going on. Um, we're doing a topical series, and we call it the meta narrative. That's what I call it. Meta narrative means the big story. Meta narrative. Meta, big narrative story. All right? And the big story we're talking about is I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's lots and lots of books out there called young adult books. Very, very popular. They're making movies out of them. And they've become more popular now, but even back when I was a kid and when you were, some of you were kids, there were very popular books out there um, of kids. I don't even think even Treasure Island has that story arc in it with the little boy, right? And he's, he's just swabbing decks in the tavern and then he gets swept away in an adventure. Remember, and the cook turns out to be a pirate and they go to this treasure island. Remember all that story? It's the same story arc. So this story arc has been around for a while. But what makes this particular story arc popular from Harry Potter, Hunger Games, uh, even The Hobbit, City of Bones, The Maze Runner, all these books is this particular story arc, the reason it's so popular is because people like to pretend they're those characters. I don't know if you've ever read fiction books. It's, it's escapism. When I read a fiction book, and I'm reading a sci-fi right now, um, and in that, you know, it's just good to leave this earth and go be in the book, right? Isn't that why we watch movies? Right? We, we, we're not just, that's why, I don't like realistic movies. I cannot watch a Hallmark movie. At all. Right? I, when I'm watching TV, or if I'm the, I want to escape. I don't want to learn about someone else's life trials. There's enough life trials. I don't want to experience life trials. I want to fly off in a spaceship. Right? How many of you are with me? Who'd rather escape? Right? Some of you go fishing. All right? We've got fishermen who'd rather just go escape. We have our ways of escaping life's mundane blah, blah, blahs. Okay? So, but in the young adult book series, it rings true to us, and all of us are young at heart. In other words, as we're, as we're growing up, we're discovering who we are and what this world's about, and we're thinking about bigger things like, why am I going to school? Why am I pursuing that degree? Why am I doing this? Why are my parents doing what they're doing? You know, and even as grown-ups, we can say that about our parents. I, my mother is in her 70s. Why is she doing what she's doing at that stage of her life? Is that what I, is that what I should be doing? But how do I know what should looks like? Right? And so, and as teenagers, you're coming up, you're going through school, you're getting this education, and to do what? And why? What is the big idea? What is the purpose? And then you might read a book, even the Black Stallion. What was it? The Black Stallion? Yeah, the Black Stallion, not the Black Beauty. Ah, Black Stallion. Boy and a horse get shipwrecked and get on, come on, fall on an island together, and they become best buds. Right? You've ever read that book, Black Stallion? Okay, that was the first book I got through in the fifth grade. It's very difficult for me to do so because it wasn't a movie. All right. <laughs> so. But the big idea is, what is the big idea? 
And is there something more? And are we just a little ant on the anthill that someone could come and squish us at any second? Is that our significance? And if you consider the size of the universe, where they still haven't found the end of it yet, we are teeny, teeny, tiny. We're dots. We're teeny, tiny dots. Right? How could a creator of the universe even think we have any significance at all for anything? Right? We're just dust in the room that you can only see if the sunlight's hitting it. Right? So it's challenging. And then if you go into the world and you watch uh, Neil deGrasse or something in his uh, space shows and he just, all they do is worship science and try to tell humans you're big cosmic accidents with no meaning whatsoever. Be happy. Mm, I don't think so. Nobody wants to think that our life has no significance. Right? We want to have purpose, meaning. So, and that's what these books do, is they bring that out. They, they resonate with people that, I want my life to be more than what I just see people doing, this daily grind, and then, and then that's it. Right? We all want something bigger and better. And these, all these books talk about those things. And what we're going to do is what I call chapter 5, And we'll get to the outline of that. I must have missed that. And it's preparing... um, Let me get... Where did that go? I'll have to come back. It'll show up here. I'm sure it will. But we're going back to chapter 5. But before we do this, the reason I'm bringing up these young adult books is they all ring true with one particular story in the Bible. It's the story of the Christian. Now, when I mean the Christian, I mean the, the general story of the Christian. The big story of the Bible is Jesus. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, the big story is Jesus. All right? But in that, so what? Right? You always want to ask the question, so what? Even with Jesus, so what? And the so what about Jesus is the gospel that you and I are evil, filthy, rotten sinners. Everyone in this room before God is a filthy, evil, rotten sinner that deserves hell. We deserve hell. That only justice demands that we all get punished in hell. Justice demands it, and God is just. Okay? That's just the way it is. That's the baseline. Now, mercy and grace spring out of that. Mercy means God not giving us what we deserve. And does anyone remember what grace is? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Okay? Mercy, God giving us what we, uh, God not giving us what we deserve. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. That's all based on what we deserve. All right? So the whole purpose of man is to love God and enjoy Him forever. So God created you before there was a universe, and He had a special plan in place that of all the multitudes of billions of people that hate God and will never ever come to Him, He's going to pluck you out. And He's going to say, I have a plan for you. First, I'm going to clean you off. I'm going to make you special. I'm going to empower you and equip you. And I'm going to have you go back out into this masses and I'm going to have you tell them the good news that I love them and they don't have to go to hell if they come to me. And the majority of them are going to hate you for telling them that. But I've got a special plan for you. And your whole life is going to go in a different direction than everybody else. 
And then at the end, I'm bringing you to heaven. And you get a rest. God's Sabbath rest is not us sitting on a couch. God's Sabbath rest is this insane, amazing super party where everything we ever wanted or could be, the, the fullest knowing of what things were meant to be will be. And we've arrived. Okay? But that's the story of the Christian, of God pulling us out of the masses and setting us on a different course to this insane awesomeness that only ends in greater awesomeness. That's the gospel. Right? So, But does that excite you? When I say God created you to love and enjoy Him forever, right? Does that... Is there a pulse there? Do you like... Ah, I heard you said that last week! Yes, because it's the truth of truth of truth! That's it! How could I not say that every week? How can that not be our focus? Alright, let's move on. So here's the chapter, the next chapter... Chapter 5. Now, here's the big chapters. The daily grind. So, right, here's everybody doing their thing. They're going to school. They're going to work. Chuggity, chug, chug, chug. And then, all of a sudden, God says, No, you ain't going that way. That way's stupid. Pluck. And he pulls you out, right? Says, Listen, this is crap. Here's awesomeness. Here you go. So now, awesomeness. And you just can't say, No. No human being... When Christ and the Holy Spirit makes you born again, ever says no. Because at that moment, you are truly in your right mind. Everybody who says no to God, they're not free, they're enslaved, they're zombie monsters, and they're just going, evil, I want to be stupid. And they always reject God all the time, at every moment, at every second. They look at the stars of the universe, they look at creation and go, That's about the depth of their thinking. Then God takes you, pulls you out, makes you new, born again. John chapter 3. Bam! Right? And then all of a sudden, you're a new creature. We're going to talk about that for a second. Now all of a sudden, you see the world as the way God made it. And it's freaking you out. At one sense, it's like, this is insanely awesome. I have a purpose beyond the creation of the sun. I have a purpose. And then on the next note, whoa, this world's a nasty, scary place. And people are stupid. And I don't want to be a people because people are stupid. I don't even like being part of the human race because I know my own sinful ickiness. And I know their own sinful ickiness. And I don't want to be associated with that because I like what God's got. And it's awesome, right? And that's the story. And then the story goes on. Now you get to discover these things and then all of a sudden you discover there's a war going on. There's a war. The reason you're here today is because you won the battle. The battle's daily. What about next Sunday? What battle's going to come in and say, don't go to church! There's got to be something better for you than going to church even though that's a commandment to fellowship and this so it only happens once a week. Don't go! And that's spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6. And you're a baby Christian and you're going, Oh, should I prioritize obeying God or should I just sleep in? Or whatever it is you decide is more important than this, right? The battle! The battle begins! Keep the young Christians dumb and keep them away from the Scriptures. Don't let them grow. Because if they grow, they'll get it. And then they'll go out and start telling people about Jesus. And we don't want baby Christians to do that. 
right? And the older Christians, let's just discourage them. Let's find that sin and pull them over into it. Come on, you remember that sin. You like that sin. Come on. Come on into that sin. Oh, I got you. You can't be a Christian. Got you in that sin, right? Spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12 begins. But now we're in chapter 5. Where God says, eh, 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 eh. I've prepared you for this before the creation of the universe. I can't emphasize this enough. That's what we're going to talk about. So, let's remember a couple books. Do you remember Harry Potter? In Harry Potter... He's, he finds out he's a new, he's, he's a wizard, he's got magic powers, he's got a magic scar on his forehead, he's just super cool. So he goes down to the wizard store and picks up his magic wand, right? He's getting equipped with it, and it's not just any wand, it's a special wand just for him. And with that, he touches it and all this happiness happens, and he's got his special wand, okay? Chronicles of Narnia, right? The kids... She gets a bow and she gets a special horn. The, the four girls in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, the four girls. The two boys, the two girls. Right? This is Queen Susan. She gets a bow and arrow so she can kill people from a distance. Bad guys. You're gone, bad guy. And then she's got this horn to call Aslan. To call the armies of righteousness. And it's her job to sound the alarm when the forces of darkness come. They call on her and she grabs her horn. And then... All the good guys show up and they beat up the bad guys, right? And then you got uh, Queen Lucy, the valiant. She's got a dagger for close combat defense and she's also got this flask of healing. So she's the one that goes around and can heal people with just a drop, right? It's a cool weapon. And then you've got the High King Peter, the magnificent, and his weapon is simply a sword and a shield, and that's the, the emblem of Aslan. Of course, Aslan is a type of Christ, if you read the book series. Okay, these are the weapons. He's getting equipped. And these are all the stories. And of course, Hunger Games. Does anyone remember what she had in Hunger Games? The girl, Katniss? Anybody? Did anyone watch the Hunger Games? Read the book? She had a bow, too, didn't Yes! You get the gold star. She had a bow and arrow. And of course, the most ultimate super character of all times is my favorite Spider-Man, right? And he's just awesomeness. So his superpowers from God is awesomeness. Okay? So I just had to add him in there. Okay. So what happens is in like 1 Peter 2.9, God's setting you apart. You're all in this room. You're pulled from different times, different age groups, and God is setting you apart for his own plan. You're created, you're chosen, and you're called. You see, the creator of the universe, before he made creation, sat back and had a plan. And in that plan are you. And in that plan isn't just you just living a carnal life. A carnal life means a fleshly animal type life where you just do what animals do and then die back to dust, right? You think of the bugs that are squished themselves on your windshield. Would you like to think you're more significant than that before the creator of the universe? Well, you are in Christ. And you're chosen which means God specifically had a written plan for you to be fulfilled. And good news is, despite you. So, now you might think, well, maybe I want to choose for myself. No, you don't. 
you don't want to choose for yourself because there is no such thing as freedom apart from Christ. All right? There's no such thing. There's no ability to be evil. All right? And we'll unpack that again another day. But the idea is not only did he chose you, he called you. And called you means he didn't go off in the distance. Hey! Hey, come over here! I want you to follow me! Mmm, I can't hear you over my TV. No. When God calls, he gets in your face, he BAM! And you follow. Period. Jesus says, the sheep hear my voice and obey. They hear me and they do it. But what's exciting about that is it's not everybody. It's a remnant. This church is a perfect example of that. Is everybody in Pawpaw in all the churches? Nope. Most of them are too important for God. But there's a remnant. There's those that God's always pulling on our heart. Always drawing us. We've got to have God. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt we want God's stuff. Right? And it's pulling us. It's drawing us. And every generation, God has a group that he says, the world's going this way, I'm going to pull you out, and I'm going to bring you this way. And if you think of all the prophets in the Old Testament, they were special people drawn out, chosen by God, not by themselves. They didn't say, so, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a prophet of God. No, that didn't happen. God, Because a prophet of God in the Old Testament meant that most likely everyone was going to hate them, people were going to try to kill them, and the kings and the politicians most definitely would try to kill them. And many a times they were killed. So nobody said, yeah, me, I want to be a prophet of God. All right? They were special. And God called them. So now, let's talk about this. This road is narrow. Here's my little picture. But I want to show you something here. Here's the narrow way to Christ, the broad road to destruction, and it doesn't take any thinking to go to hell, right? And just live your life, eat your cereal, and keep hating God, and you'll dive right into hell. To live for Christ, the Christianity is the thinking religion. You do not check your brains at the door. You bring them in and you engage in the scriptures, right? And I'm going to give you some scriptures here in a minute. But what I want to show you is from the beginning of Christianity, a what's, what I call a church, um, kind of like a historical timeline of the church. And I want you to get a big idea of something. So here we have the beginning of the church age. Then we have the uh, Assyrian church, the Oriental Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, meshing with the uh, Eastern and Western Catholic. And then we have the Protestant denominations. And we're somewhere a part of this. Our church is this fruit. So where are the Christians in here? Okay, Which church is the true church? Right? From a worldly perspective... Which church is the right church? And depending on which church made this timeline, what you'd see is a solid bar. This is our church. And then here's all the rest springing off. It depends on which church historian made the timeline, right? But we have to look at biblical eyes. Where are the Christians? Where are the chosen few in this timeline of churches, right? First, I want to encourage you, a church is just an organized group of people. 
And in that organized group of people are the true church, the people who love Jesus Christ like crazy, and those who like religion or like a good social club or something like that. They don't really care about Jesus. They're not going to read their Bible on the week. They're not going to push it. They don't care. But in that, where's the believers? Here's what I'll suggest to you as the believers. All these polka dots. Okay? The believers, the church of Christ, has nothing to do with an organized Methodist, Protestant, Catholic, Greek Orthodox. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus is, God is just electing people and putting them into the body of Christ. And he is not looking at the church organization. I know some Catholics who know their Bible, who are Christians who would say they're a Christian who worships Catholic. I would challenge them on their deeper theology, but they desperately love Jesus. And it, and it pours out of them. I know Methodists who desperately love Jesus, and I know Methodists who don't know what the Bible says at all and don't care. All right? It's not about the denomination. It's about who loves Jesus, who is part of the chosen few. Right? I would suggest to you that that's when the Reformation happened, it was a Christian in the midst of a religion of non-Christians that caused the Reformation to happen. That's how we need to view church history. We're looking for where the Christians are, not where the religions are. Okay? And are you part of this? Are you a polka dot? <laughs> okay, here's some Bible verses for you. I wanted to set the premise. The remnant. Romans 11, 1 through 7. I ask then, has God rejected his people, that's the Jews, by no means, as Paul writes, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scriptures say of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Remember what grace means? Right? Um, God giving us what we don't deserve. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. By definition, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. This is a tough doctrine, but it's in the scriptures. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. In general, the works, the righteousness by works, the law, the elect... Elect by definition means God picked out, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Remember the polka dots? God pulled out people and the rest continued hating God, just like Pharaoh. They don't care. And the more you preach Scripture to them, the harder they get. Let's make sure that's not us. We're set free. So now God takes you, He elects you, He liberates you from this world. Romans 8, 1-4 through There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For God has done what the law... The law meaning everybody knows the law. All your lost friends, all your non-religious friends know what the law is because they say, I'm gonna, I live my life the best I can. There's that balance of right and wrong, right? And hopefully my good will outweigh my bad and I'll go to heaven. That's the law. And if they live by the law, they will go to hell. They will not make it. But God has done, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. Okay? God puts Jesus on the cross and condemns the sin, my sin, on that cross so that the righteous requirement of the law is completed. So I am not doing good, so I'll go to heaven. I am doing good because I am going to heaven. And it's not a pride issue. Matter of fact, I'm the worst evil sinner in this room. It's because Jesus Christ did the work for me. It's His life, death, burial, and resurrection that is allowing me to go to heaven. That's it. I bring nothing to the table but stupidness. And I'm king of stupid, right? And that's all I can offer God. So before we go further into this, you, if you have not asked Jesus Christ to save you from yourself, from your own evil, if you think you're good, if you think you're okay, then you're not going to heaven. You need to ask Jesus to grant you repentance, to turn away. If you've never done anything like this, you know, the first time I did it, I didn't say any magic prayer. I said, God, take control of my life. Jesus, I'm, I'm a loser. Take it. Be the captain. That was it. That's all God needed to say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But if you've never had any experience of yielding like this, I want you to make sure you don't think you're, you belong to Jesus when you don't. Because if you leave here, this church today, and God is the furthest thing from your mind for the rest of the week, you never would care to open a Bible. You would never care to read anything godly. There's no interest in the things of God once you leave this building. You don't belong to God. Because there's nothing in you driving you to God. You should be able to say in your hearts, I crazy love Jesus. I love Jesus because he loves me. And religion be... Forget the religion. Religion stinks. I'm not going to let religion keep me from Jesus. You get, that should be in you somewhere. There should be this, this hunger for God that should be pulling you despite you. I don't know, man. God just keeps dragging me along. That should be going on in you. If it's not, this is where it begins. Right? I just want to make sure that is clear. 
So even creation, I'm going to do a big message on Earth Day based on this. In Romans 8, 18-21, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that would be God, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Even this earth is excited every time someone yields to Christ. The angels in heaven celebrate and creation itself goes, ha, 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 at least that person is not contributing to death. That one is pulled out and will be part. I will know that person when God recreates heaven and earth. Even the earth is anticipating baby Christians. It's exciting. Everything is anticipating God to remove the curse. Everything is just one breath away. Just come back, Jesus. Just fix this place, please. And that's what our hearts do, too. Our hearts want Jesus. All right. And first, God comes in. He makes us new. This is what he does. He says, okay, your old self... This is a big pile. Let's get rid of that. New. Bam. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new what? Creation. Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from our good efforts. No, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? New creation. Bam! That's how God starts it. Then, after he transforms you new, then he starts rebuilding your insides. Okay, this heart. Listen to this heart. Look at that. We're going to pummel this heart, make this person cry, and make them come alive. We're going to give them a heart of flesh. Okay? 1 John 3, 19-24 But this we shall know, that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our hearts condemn us... Okay? I want to stop there for a moment. I think this is a huge enemy of the Christians. Because, you know, even... You've got to mention this, I guess, because it fits well. Anyone familiar with the story of Josh Duggar? Okay? First, he did something when he was a kid. It was a good salvation story. His sin, he repented or so repented. But then he got caught up in a big uh, international scandal where he's a practicing adulterer. Okay? And he's supposed to be some leader of a Christian organization. Okay? His heart better be condemning him. If he at all belongs to Jesus Christ, that man should be in sackcloth and ashes and just begging and just running off to an island, repenting the rest of his life. Okay? But for some of us, we do the smallest, teeniest sin and we feel like our heart condemns us. You, you haven't been to church in a long time. Don't go now. They're going to know. 
They're going to give you a guilt trip. You're going to get browbeat. Don't go, you failed in sin this week. Somebody who saw you this week and knew your sin. You went to that place that maybe you shouldn't have gone. And the church folk are going to judge you. Don't go. And it's your heart lying to you. Don't do it. And that's what the Scripture is talking about. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Okay? Even God doesn't condemn you. God, that's not His job. In Christ, we're reconciled. There is no condemning to be done. It's just like, yeah, you messed up. You know, when Javin and I were practicing ball, you know, I don't punish him if he doesn't catch the ball. Right? Matter of fact, and we celebrate every effort. Every time he goes, ah, and he, he catches the ball, it goes off his face. Right? We go, yeah! Get that ball! That's awesomeness. Right? And that's what Jesus does. Every time we even stumble forward and try to do something, and we don't do it perfect, God's going, bam! What other human being in the town of Papa just attempted to do what you did for Jesus? Right? Whether it's handing out tracts, whether it's talking to your friend about Jesus. Who else is doing it? And God's going, that's my kid. Yeah! Right? So then, God works on our outside. He equips us with the spiritual armor of Ephesians 6. We were talking about that on the drive uh, out to a party, birthday party yesterday. Right? The helmet of salvation. Shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel. Right? God equips us on the inside. God equips us on the outside. And He says, first of all, He legally declares us not guilty. Yep, you're going to mess up tomorrow, Christians in this room. You're going to sin tomorrow. You're not guilty. What? Romans 8, 29 through 35. There's a gazillion verses here. For those whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. For those He predestined, He also called. For those He called, He also justified. You can't say that. That's what I'm pointing at it. Justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. When God looks at you, He sees the finished product. He sees a glow-in-the-dark, floating-in-the-sky human being that He's created for eternity. He doesn't just see us going, ah, i got to brush my teeth this morning. He doesn't see that. He sees us glorified. And He legally, as the judge, says we're not guilty. We're justified before God. So when we get up on Monday and mess up, we're still justified. Okay? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. God the Father, the judge, says, not guilty, you're justified, and Jesus is the defense attorney, is going, and there with me. So who is against, who can condemn a Christian when God the Father says you're justified and glorified, God the Son says, you're in me, you're mine, you belong to me, and the Holy Spirit indwells you, who can say, I saw you fail last week, who? 
Nobody. So, just a few more justice verses. Romans 10.10 For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's talking from the internal to the external, what happens to when someone is born again. 1 Corinthians 6.11 For such were some of you, but you were washed... You were sanctified, set apart, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All these verses in the Bible. You know the biggest challenge of prepping a sermon is there's so much good news. Where do I stop in a chapter and just pick a verse? That's so unfair. There's so much. Um, Galatians 2.16 For we know that a person is not justified by works. Remember that when your friends say, well, I'm just going to try my best. That Well, your best is going to blow it. You do not want that. person is just, not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Following that? Galatians 3.11 Now it is evidence that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Our faith is knowing that Jesus did the work. Yeah, I saw you sin and I got you. Jesus has got me. Okay? Um, Now we're coming to the end here. The way is hard. If you want a complicated life, become a Christian. Um, Matthew seven thirteen and 14 Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few God's elect God's remnant is a small portion of the mass populace all right, and by all means, everything in my heart, I want to be part of that narrow, small group. I do not want to be a mindless masses, just like the zombie movies, just going with the flow, falling off the cliffs, never ever thinking, never ever looking up. That's terrifying because they're committing intellectual suicide to not yield to Christ. Okay? We're also going to suffer. We're going to suffer in the body. 1 Peter 4, 1-4 Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Same attitude. Think of the battles. It's like, oh man. Sunday church, should I go? It's been so hard. Suffer with the same attitude. You know, that friend, you know that conversation you're going to have at lunch and you know, if you talk about Jesus, it's just going to be uncomfortable for you. Probably more for you than, than them, right? Suffer with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And that's the real battle. Should I talk to them about Jesus? Because, you know, football's so much more fun to talk about, isn't it? Jesus football. Mwah. Right? Are you ready to suffer for Jesus? As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. 
They are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. See, all you have to do is not do what they do, and you're living for Jesus. Just stop and think, and bam, you're already different. Because, you know, and if you want to make a current in a river, right, the water's already flowing. If you want to make a current around you, all you have to do is stop going with the flow. You don't have to swim up river yet. Just stop. And all of a sudden, you've got ripples and waves around you, and people are trying to avoid you, and they don't understand why you're not going with them. Because you're anchored on Christ. And people in Christ just don't mindlessly flow down the river to the waterfall. We live for Jesus. Work out your salvation. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill His good purpose. We're almost done. Look at this. This doesn't mean work for your salvation. That's what everyone else is doing. They're trying to be religious and they get enough check marks, God will let them into heaven. That's not what's happening. Work out your salvation means you already have it. So now you're making your muscles big and strong. You're working out your salvation, not working for your salvation. And you do it with fear and trembling because we know that it was God who worked in us. Isn't that interesting? In one verse it says we are to work out our salvation. and the next verse, it's because God's doing the work. So if you've ever worked at a gym and you're really doing heavy lifting, they have something called a spotter. A spotter is someone to make sure that if the weight overcomes you, it doesn't crush you. Okay? God's your spotter. Okay? And he's never going to let the workout crush you. All right? How's that for an illustration? And of course, we all know, what does a workout look like? Make sure you're doing these. Worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. It's that simple. Now check your heart. As we're done, I gave you lots of information. But what information out there is more crazy, insanely awesome than what you just heard? What are you going to go home and see that's better than that? What is going to change your life and make you a superhero other than the stuff of the Scripture? Anything? Is anything worth more than that? I don't think so. Let's pray. Father, I love your story. I love your story involves me. And it's despite me. And that you're going to take me all the way to the finish line, whether I like it or not. And boy, I really like it. I pray that everyone here just thinks you're the, oh, so awesome, that they think you are it, that they go crazy for your word, and that they, they chase you. What else is there, Father? Amen. From Bibles, websites, to theology, apps, to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. TheSpeakandDeacon.com Truth is here.